0: Welcome. Welcome. We're so glad you could join us. Get ready to hear from Scott Scholl in our Hear Me Roar series where he short shares his story about not feeling qualified or feeling inadequate. Something we can all relate to. Especially you. Not not you? No. No, no. just more for So you. More, it's more for me, people like me, mm-hmm. less for mm-hmm. you. That makes yes. sense. Yes, that's right. So so that's what we're going to hear about today but you have something to share about generosity. Yes, so from time to time, we like to remind each other that we are a portable church. For now. We love our castle home. For now. And we love making a difference in our community and beyond. Forever. But we have goals to own someday. Today, would you consider giving above and beyond toward this initiative? When you go to give online, you can choose the generous line item. And in this way, you can be part of what God is doing permanently in the city of Rochester and beyond. You know what? I will consider giving. You know what? I considered it. I will give. My message worked. Mm -hmm. It really hit home with you. It's effective. Well, thank you. Enjoy today's service.
1: to me like weakness is a canvas for your strength. My story isn't over. My story's just begun. you won't find me, cause that's what my father does. Failure won't find me, cause that's what my father does. Oh, so much. Father, I thank you that you are in this house today and that you had invited us here. Lord, thank you for your presence. Lord Jesus, thank you for making a way. thank you for being the truth and the life. We just praise you this morning. Let's give him a shout of praise this morning. Thank you Jesus.
0: I got to tell you something. So, uh, Jamie and I, we've served at basically five churches. This is the fifth church we've served in our life. And the last church we served at was in Arizona before we moved here. And we loved the lead pastor. Like, I just want to hang out with this guy. It's just super cool, down to earth, just amazing. But if the other person spoke, my wife would look at me like, Do we have to stay at church? <laughs> it's the truth. It's the truth, and it's funny because, it, I mean, it, I liked it. He's a good guy. He talked a lot about history, not my wife's jam. So if by chance, right now, you guys are going, oh, it's somebody other than the guy. Listen, no judgment. I totally understand. I have been there. I have been in your seat. Don't feel bad, okay? I'm going to do my best, but next week, andy will be back, and we'll do it all again, okay? All right. So history, not my wife's thing, which always makes me laugh, because what I'd like to talk about today is a whole bunch of history. So we're going to talk about first century rabbis, right? Right up my wife's alley. Come on. Before we dig into that too far, though, I want to do something. I want to say how honored we are to serve with Pastor Andy and Pastor Christy, and how amazing... So I told you, we've served in five churches. And when Jamie and I have served in churches, we've taken pretty significant leadership roles, whether uh, on staff or leading churches or whatever it is. And we are so honored and so grateful to have you guys as our pastors. And I will tell you this, and I try to say this a lot. I spent a lot of time with them. Jamie and I spent a lot of time with them. They're like some of our closest friends. And they are as cool in the rough days as they are on stage. Like they are the same people in front of you as they are, I, I just—they're—they're they're integral people. They're just, uh, just people to be proud to serve. So we love you guys. Can we just celebrate those guys one more time? Come on! Now, in case you're wondering, it's going to be really good today because I have my Larry and Bob Bible up here. I got this for Nixon when he was five. And last night I was like, I kind of want to use a, normally I'd try to use a phone, that's like my default. And I was like, no, I just want to look more spiritual. So Bob and Larry, Bob and Larry bringing the word today. Hope you guys are with me, all right. Now, another thing that's a little different about Andy and I is when Andy's up here, I don't know if you noticed, but he's using an iPad. He's super organized, like on top of it, working his way down. And I have Sharpie written paper. This is kind of my jam right here. This is how my brain works. I was trying to do it on the iPad, and I tried for like two hours and finally I was like, "Nope, give me the sharpie, give me the paper. I have some paper clips in the Bible, and we 're away we go All right, so here we go. All right, hey, you know what 's funny about this is we 're family we 're just in this together. I love you guys i 'm not nervous to be up here, maybe I should be, but i 'm not because I know that you guys will love me anyway, so we 're in this let 's do it. All right, so first century rabbis, that wasn 't a joke. So first century rabbis, when I say first century, I'm talking like Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, the rabbi was the man. He was like the most, it was like, okay, so I want you to picture this. any of you guys have siblings that maybe got like, maybe they're doctors or lawyers or something, like something, and your parents kind of are like, you know, your, your sister's a, a lawyer, your brother's a doctor. I mean, it's nice that you sweep the floors, but, I mean, that's what... You know how you kind of get that pressure from somebody else? Like, why can't you be more like so-and-so? Or maybe you put that pressure on yourself. By the way, I'm an only child, so I don't have that pressure. <laughs> but if you do, I'm sorry. But if your sibling was the rabbi, that was like the ultimate, like, oh, you, your brother is... is so holy. He's got it all figured out. And so what happened is, culturally, the first century rabbi... Carried a ton of influence. And so when we read about it, I don't know if you guys notice when you go through the Gospels, we read about kind of these two groups of people that are leading what's going on. You read about the rabbis, you read about the the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and then you read about kind of the the, the overarching people, right, That 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 are kind of oppressing. But like in the Jewish culture, it's really the rabbis. The rabbis kind of run the show. And here's how it works five to ten years old, all young men at this time, and actually, by the way, today that's not the case, it's, it's women as well, but all men, uh, all little boys, would have to go through and they would get, for those five years, and they would have to memorize. Now, I want to show this to you. They would memorize about that much of the Bible. Now, in my Bible, there's a few Bob and Larry cartoons, so it's maybe a few pages less than that, but I just want you to picture this. They're going to they're gonna memorize the first five books in the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Anybody ever try to do the Bible in a year? You don't make it through those five books, let's just be totally honest. I mean, unless you really like fortunately, I had some some professors and some cool podcasts and things that have tried to show me the light of how good that stuff is, but man, Bible in a year, you that's like that's like roadblock city. If you do the Bible in a year, start with, with Matthew, start with the New Testament. It's way better it'll just get through better Uh, you need less context that's the hard part right when we read the old testament we don't know what it's like to be to be jewish in 2000 bc we don't understand any of that stuff so the new testament makes a little more sense although in honesty that probably doesn't make a ton of sense either unless we have some context so you memorize the first five books of the bible the law the pentateuch the the torah and then what happens is at the end of those five years, most people, most of these young men, would become apprentices in their, in their father or family business. So most of them do not make it through, kind of think of it as a school process, right? If you're trying to get into law school, you got to do this thing first, and then they decide if you're going to get into law school. If you're trying to get into medical school, you do this thing first, they decide if you're going to get into medical school. At five to ten, they clear out most of them. And then... Ages 10 to 15. Now, we're in business. All right, you ready? So I showed you before. This is what they memorized before. Now, from 10 to 15, i got to find my paper clip here. They memorize that. Now, I know there's some cartoons in there, but this is a lot of words. Like, look at that. That is the entire Old Testament. That is all of the Hebrew scriptures. And they memorize them all. And then at the end of that, right? The the best of the best made it through. The best of the best made it through. And then, at the end of that, almost everybody finds their way to their family business. And a really small percentage, and I mean a super, like, fractional, tiny fraction of people make it on to be what we would have called, or what they would have called, disciples. There was, like, a prerequisite. There was, like, all these things you had to do. And if you didn't make it through and the rabbi didn't select you, then what did you do? You went on to the family business. Now, the goal of a disciple in that time was to be like the rabbi. The rabbi was going to instill all his wisdom and all these things that he had learned and his interpretation of scripture and all these things. He's going to pour that out on the disciple. And then guess what the disciple does? He becomes a rabbi. And he starts the process all over again. So this is Jesus' time. This is what's going on. This is what we see. In case you were worried about how many pages there were, I'm already on the fourth one, so we're flying. <laughs> so what I want to do, because there was a lot. I mean, I think there's like ten up here. Don't be nervous. We won't be here all day. I want to read in Luke. So this is kind of our main scripture of the day. We're going to read in Luke. Luke 5. Normally it's up on the screen, but I didn't uh, get it to Andy ahead of time, so I apologize. This kind of goes right along with our theme today, if you're feeling that. (laughs) All right, so I'm going to read this. I'll read it out loud. So uh, Luke 5, the calling of the first disciples. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats. Left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. We will refer to him as Peter later on, but here it said Simon. And asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Right on. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. So what I want you to see there is the authority the rabbi carries. Who's the fisherman in the boat? Because it ain't Jesus. Peter's like, we've been out there all night. We got like four fish. I mean, this is nothing. Nothing's happening. But guess what? The teacher's saying it. So I'm going to take it and we're going to go out there. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, and we quote this a lot. We've heard this a lot. Come follow me, right? Don't be afraid, for now you are fishers of men. So they pulled their boats up on the shore. And what'd they do? They left everything. Remember the power and the authority that the rabbi carries. Okay, so first century rabbi, lots of stuff. Now... What I want you to hear in this is, I want you to hear that Peter had already been disqualified to be a disciple. So had James, and so had John, and so had every other one of the people that Jesus calls out. They had already been told no, they had already been told, You don't make it, you are not good enough. You don't have what it takes. You cannot be a disciple. You are not the one. You are not the small fraction, even though maybe you did this work. And we don't know where they cut out. Maybe they made it through the 5 to 10 part, and that was it. Maybe they made it all the way to 15. We're interviewing with rabbis. And they just didn't get picked. So Jesus says, come follow me. And what do they do? They follow. They follow the rabbi because of the authority. Now it's a funny thing, being disqualified, in our life, it looks a little different. So I'm going, to use my, I'm going to use my story a little bit as an example. I grew up, I was born at St. Mary's here in town. Uh, I spent a lot of my life in Rochester. I also lived in Orinoco. Shout out to Orinoco. It's a large metropolitan area, just a little north of here. It's not even a gas station there anymore, I don't think. Um, Oh, on the north side. But they okay, you're right, Brandon, you're right. So it's funny, my grandpa owned a gas station in Orinoco. So when I think of it, I don't think of like that north shell and that those are basically not Orinoco to me. They're like on the north they're on the way south side, you know what I'm saying? Anyway, you guys don't need my you don't need my quips on Orinoco. I love Orinoco, my wife likes to make fun of it, but I love it. It was a great place to grow up. I lived out on the Zumbro. And so I grew up with just my mom. I've never met my dad. And so we had kind of an interesting life because of that. And the one thing I want you to hear before we talk about anything else is my family's awesome. I had a great grandma and grandpa that took really good care of me. I had two uncles and an aunt that took really good care of me. I had a lot of people in my life that loved me. So I don't want you to hear in anything I say, my mom was great to me. I mean, my family has been really good to me, but it doesn't mean there weren't challenges. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read some of these things. I took these off. Um, This is another one of the pages. See, we're flying. I want to read some statistics about fatherless homes. 85% of youth who are currently in prison grew up in fatherless homes. In 2011, 44% of children in homes headed by a single mother were living in poverty. Just 12% in married couples were living in poverty. Children who live in a single parent home are more than two times more likely to commit suicide than children in two parent homes. 72% of Americans believe that fatherless home is the most significant social problem and family problem that is facing our country. 90% of youth in the United States who decide to run away from home or become homeless for any reason originally came from fatherless homes. Over 30% of fatherless homes are classified as being food insecure. 92% of the parents who are currently in prison came from fatherless homes. I had a second grade teacher. If you ever heard me talk about my second grade teacher, she was kind of an influence in me in a... I guess I'm going to say a good way, but she certainly didn't feel like she was an influence in a good way when I was in second grade. I think my second grade teacher kind of understood my situation and judged me and my mom for it. That's my best guess. But she kind of, she kind of implied that maybe I'm going to fit into one of those statistics in a not so nice way. And it's interesting listening to somebody who, again, I mean, teachers carry authority, especially second grade teachers. Carry authority. I talk about this lady a lot in case you're wondering. Like she, like this influenced me. My second grade teacher influenced me. And she, uh, she didn't say I had a very bright future. I was disqualified, right? I had this tarnished mark against me. Statistically, I was going to be this, this, and this. I mean, I just read it all to you. Uh, 85% of the youth in prison, right, statistically, more likely to commit suicide, more likely to deal with depression, more likely to deal with, I mean, pretty much everything. The statistics that always made me really nervous were the statistics about fatherless homes and what they become as fathers. Statistically, way more likely to not be involved with their family. I've been disqualified. I didn't have what it takes. I didn't fit the resume. I wasn't going to make it through the list. And the amazing thing is, none of us are. At some point or another, we have all been disqualified. But here's the crazy thing. Jesus doesn't call the qualified. He is not looking for those of us that have it together because in all actuality, none of us have it together. We had a family, uh, we had a, a lady who was at her house one time and she goes, man, you guys, you guys look like you have it all together. And I'm just gonna be totally honest that it couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, we, like, We try, you know, but we certainly don't have it all together. To give you an example of some of the spillover of being a single-parent child, I bought these shoes for today. Now, it doesn't matter that I bought new shoes. Like, I'm not trying to impress you guys or anything like that. I bought them for myself. But what I needed, I needed an excuse to buy the shoes. I wasn't going to go in the store and spend the money just for myself. This sweet black coat, which is my favorite coat, I bought this coat, I think, last time I spoke. Because I needed an excuse to go in and spend the money. We grew up on the wrong side of the tracks, living the wrong life, and money just holds a really odd spot in my life. And it's actually something that spills over into my conversation with my wife, too. So I'm at the store, and I was like, I really want to buy new shoes. Uh, I like shoes. I don't spend a lot of money on shoes, but I like to get them when I do. So I bought these shoes yesterday. And... Uh, I just, I just, it was a nice excuse to bypass the guilt of spending money. So what happens is, wherever you're at, and whatever your, I like to use the word disqualification, because that's basically what the disciples went through. Whatever disqualified you, whatever kept you from it, whatever kept you from believing you could do blank, whatever kept you from living out a life for God, whatever did, whatever those things are, whatever's stopping you right now, from living the life that you want to live, that God wants you to live. You're just surrounded by a bunch of other people that are disqualified too. So I got a call from my wife two weeks ago. And uh, she calls me and she says, you're going to kill me. Now when that phrase starts, in general, that means my wife spent more money than I would probably have preferred. That's the normal, you're going to kill me. But then there's this tinge of, I don't know, almost like fear and emotion behind it. And I'm like, what's going on? And she tells me that she had plugged the sink in our laundry room and in the the chaos of the day had started washing off something, left the water running, and left the house for six hours water ran from our laundry room into our hallway and our kitchen down into our basement down the stairs just soaked our house and i want to tell you as somebody i, I just I, I tell you this it's, it, listen it can be it can be sort of funny now so you don't have to feel guilty about like i just want to throw that we've had half the church out there to give us bids on things thanks thanks nate and and mike and everybody else who's come out we're going to get it all fixed. It doesn't really matter. We lost some books. I mean, honestly, in, in the grand scheme of things, it was a miracle. I mean, we lost very little. We were doing this itemized thing, and they, they said, you know, you should print out ten sheets just to be safe. And we used two and a half. Like, it's, it's the floor is not going to, to like, there's some amazing things that happen, But here's what I want to tell you. My wife strives for perfection. And when something like that happens, what does she feel? She feels disqualified. She feels like a failure. She feels like she let everybody down. Now, in reality, it's much more likely that I would do something like that than her to do something like that. So I can't be mad about it because it's right in line with me. But for her, I mean, she's, even, she's emotional even right now because I promise you, she beats herself up still for that thing. When you think about who you are and how you grew up and what your life looked like, there's something along the way that made you feel disqualified. I'm just going to check the time because sometimes I talk a lot. So I'm just going to... So let's go back to my guy, Peter. And by the way, if you guys ever, like when that disqualified feeling comes around, I think the the, the smartest thing to do is to read scripture. And not like from a spiritual way, like I know there's really spiritual people that'll tell you to read the Bible because of the spiritual aspects of it. Let me just tell you from a super practical aspect. Everybody but Jesus is a huge goofball in the Bible. Like they are just, what did Carrie Garcia call the disciples? Knuckleheads. Knuckleheads. I love that. I love studying the disciples. I study the disciples a bunch. You want to know why? Because they are just like us. Peter's my favorite. Peter is actually, to be totally honest, Peter's worse than most of us. When Peter says, I want you to picture this. So Peter is a fisherman. What kind of life do you think they lived out there? I'm pretty sure that man cussed like a sailor, right? I must mean, let's be honest. Peter's out there with a bunch of, I mean, you already got kind of cut from the the, the, the line that you were going to go on. Let me read you some of Peter's resume. And while I read this, I'm going to have the band come up. And here's what I want to do. I'm just going to read some of these things. This is, a, this is another page, so we're cruising. This is my synopsis of Peter's resume is what I wrote here. Now, some of these I'm going to resonate with personally, but we'll go on. Uh, Peter doesn't understand parables at least three different times that Jesus is trying to teach him. I don't understand the parables even when I'm reading them now, so no judgment there, Peter. I got you. Peter and the disciples prevent the children from coming to Jesus. Depending on what translation you use, Jesus was indignant. He was ticked. Peter fails to continue walking on water. Well, he did walk on water, though. We'll let him off the hook on that one. Now let's get into it. Peter sins. He is filled with selfish ambition, arguing and contending that he is the greatest of the disciples. Peter is offended and angered by James and John's attempt to be Jesus' right hand. Peter takes Jesus aside and attacks Jesus' intent to atone for human sin through suffering. What does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. This is my man Peter right here. (laughs) Peter interrupts a holy moment between Jesus, Moses. This is my favorite, okay? So they're on a mountaintop. And Jesus brings three disciples up there with him. Three disciples. It's Peter, James, and John. They're like the trifecta. They're like the best of the best in the disciples. And Peter says, so Jesus is up there, and Moses and Elijah, who have been dead for thousands of years, are up there on the mountain too. Like, this is a cool thing. And Peter goes, it's so good that I was here. Like, I'm just glad you had me here. This is honestly what comes out of it. You can read it. It's right there. It was good that I was here. And then he wants to build some temples. And in the middle of it, God, from heaven, out of the sky, interrupts Peter. Like, nah. <laughs> nah. no. Nah. Peter resists Jesus' intent to wash his feet. Peter fails and falls asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter publicly denies Jesus three times. And when you read deny, what I want you to hear is he publicly denounces in a way to make it clear. So to give you an example, Peter cusses. He makes it super clear, says something so vulgar that it would be obvious that that dude didn't walk with Jesus. This is Peter. This is my man, Peter. So what I asked the worship team to do today was to play a song and i'm going to slide over just a little bit because i'm still going to talk to you guys just a little bit after this but this song has really meant a lot to me here lately and uh it's a song called found and the words are going to be up on the screen and i just want you to listen for a second and then what i'm going to do is i'm going to come up and wrap up and we'll go from there but i just want you to listen to this just kind of receive this song this morning
1: hands
0: specific groups one is those of you that have never accepted Jesus before you're new to this church piece you're new maybe you got invited maybe you randomly walked in I want to speak to you for a second you are not disqualified you are not disqualified and I want to speak to another group and I'm going to speak in the same way those of you that maybe have followed Jesus for a while but have fallen short have messed up along the way right have messed up on the, along the way And here's what I want you to know. Jesus is standing at the shore. And he not only knows what you've done in the past, he knows about the anxiety and the hurt. He knows about the pain. He knows about the heartache and the depression that you've screwed up and failed along the way. He knows all of that. And he's still standing on the shore. And you know what else he knows? He knows you're going to do it again. He knows you're going to struggle again. He knows all those pains are going to be there again. And guess what he says? I got you. You are qualified. I believe in you. And I believe in you so much that I'm going to call you into a club that you were already disqualified for. But no, I believe in you so much and I love you so much that I'd be willing to die for you. That I'd be willing to live for you. And I want to call you into the club. And that's what Jesus is saying to you right now. He is on the shore saying, come join me. It doesn't matter what the past looks like. It matters what the future looks like. And Jesus in the future is going to make it better. I promise. It doesn't make it always feel best, but I promise you it will make it better. Jesus wants to be with you. So here's what I like to say. We've all been disqualified. We've all been told we can't do it. We've all done something stupid, or lots of stupid things, or a million stupid things. I might be in the million category, so no judgment. But we do something every week here at church. We say a prayer together. And this prayer is just a reminder for those of us that have been following Jesus, hey, I still don't have the answers. You know, I was reading a statistic, uh, Pastor Andy and I were talking about it. Churches have a really hard time communicating doubt. I heard a really prominent pastor one time say, if, if I from the stage say, I am 100% co- positive that God spoke, I'm probably like 53%. He was just being honest. But normally we hear people from stage, we're like, no, listen, I doubt and I still struggle. And that's why we say this prayer every week. And I want to encourage those of you that haven't taken that step yet, be open to that. Let's say this prayer together. Can we put the prayer up on the screen, guys? We say this together every week. We're all going to repeat it together. Let's do this. Jesus, I surrender. I have more questions than answers, but I choose to follow you anyway. I acknowledge that you lived, you died, and you rose again, all with us in mind. I accept the rescue that you offer. Save me and lead me in Jesus' name and his authority. Amen. Amen. Word. I know that I have felt unqualified so many times in my life. And I had an amazing father. He's right here in the front row. He loved me so well. He loves, he loves, and did love and currently loves Jesus so well. And I still battled with those thoughts of unqualification. And the thought that our God can take that evil thought of being unqualified and turn it for good. God, that is so, so good.